interrupt our program to bring you this important message. Hi, I'm Chucky. Wanna play? You know, it's Halloween. I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare. Be afraid. No. Be afraid. Be very afraid. Ghouls and gore. And sometimes a little more. My bloody podcast. <laughs> Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of My Bloody Podcast, episode 81. I can't believe we made it this far. We have a wonderful show today. I'm Brian Kluger and I'm joined by the man I want to walk with a zombie with in life, Preston Barta. What's up, man? Doing pretty good. How are you? I am fantastic on this Friday. It's beautiful finally in Dallas, Texas. And just happy to be here with you that we can turn into zombies, I think, together today. And get a little romantic. I, I, yeah, get romantic, and I'm getting hungry, so I might, might change my attitude. But we have a wonderful, legendary guest on our show today, the fantastic jack-of-all-trades director, producer, actor, editor, writer, Rodman Flender. What's up? I also make a good BLT. So you Ooh. should include that in my jack of all trades. Ah, uh, okay. So just the exact. I go to the farmers market and get my tomatoes there, and uh, get the real cold iceberg lettuce, and and use sourdough toast and uh, mayo, and it's it's I, I eat just the right proportion. So the, that's uh, what I was going to ask. Do you have very a pro- proud of that? <laughs> I'm proud of that too. Now I'm hungry. Do you have a proclivity to use more bacon or lettuce or tomato? Well, you know, you can never uh, use too much bacon. I really like to pile on the bacon. Um, but yeah, but getting, but the, it's, you gotta get the fresh tomatoes, you know, fresh heirloom tomatoes. Cause that, uh, they provide a really nice kind of bloody red dribble down the side of your cheek as, uh, as you bite into it too. And it's that, it's that combination of the wetness with the crunch. This is a food podcast, right? Isn't that what we're doing? We're just <laughs> junk food. Yeah. Junk food. No, I like, yeah, this could be a food podcast too. I, I love Love cooking and all that stuff, and I love a mean BLT, so that just yeah, sounds great. that's better. So, so I, got, I got to ask you, where did it all begin with you in film? Oh, boy. Um, I uh, grew up in New York City, and on Saturday nights, there were two horror movie TV shows on local TV. There was uh, Creature Features on, on uh, WNEW, and Chiller Theater, which came on a little later on, on WPIX. And Creature Features had the like the classic Universal monster movies, and Chiller Theater had like the kind of weirder later AIP stuff, like, you know, I was a teenage Frankenstein and that kind of stuff. And that was um, you know, my my parents would go out on a date on Saturday nights, and my sister would have a babysitting gig, and that would be heaven for me, because I would just be alone. I'd have the TV to myself and uh was just glued to these movies. So that, that, you know, kind of, um, uh, I developed my interest in, in film and the genre. And I saw at a probably too young an age, uh, Roger Corman's original little shop of horrors. And that kind of blew my mind because that, you know, it was an old movie and old, it was in black and white and old movies were you know, supposed to be kind of corny and a little safe and that was unless it was like Todd Browning's Freaks. I mean, Todd, that was sort of the only old movie that was really, you know, transgressive. But 
Little Shop of Horrors was kind of a comedy, and that wasn't comedies weren't supposed to be transgressive like that, and it totally was. So that kind of blew my mind and got me. It definitely made an impression on me in terms of this whole sort of comedy horror mashup genre that I've been working in and out of uh, throughout my whole career, really. And so that's where it started. That's where it started. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, the original Little Shop of Horrors, was that like a fabled story of somebody betting that they can't, they couldn't make a movie in like 24 or 48 hours, but they did? Yeah, legendarily, it was um, shot in two days. And I believe, uh, talk to Roger about this, it was like two days, but I think you also had a couple of nights. Like there, if you look, there's, there's some night exterior in that. And I think that was, I think it may have been two days on the set. And then maybe a night or two running around to get those night exterior shots. But it was done very quickly. And it really shows, you know, Roger is known as a director, you know, for his Edgar Allan Poe movies, which are very stylish and classic. But I think his skills as a director are really also shown well in Little Shop of Horrors. It's all master shots. It's all these kind of moving. You know, he had, there's no time to shoot close-ups and get coverage when you're getting what you can in two days. So if you look at Little Shop of Horrors, you can really see how to economically shoot a big scene with many people in one moving master shot. All right, all right. Um, we, we've talked about this film before on the podcast, but your your first feature being The Unborn and you were just talking about being attracted to work that has this horror comedy kind of vibe to them. But yet, you know, mm -hmm. that one has a particular tone to it. Was it doing some of the later films like Leprechaun 2 and Tales of the Crypt and some of that other stuff that evolved into that particular direction? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, it's the other movie that I mentioned as like a formative movie was Todd Browning's Freaks. Mm -hmm. uh, which was subversive and very serious and real and, and, and human. I mean, the movie is called freaks, but it's like one of the most human stories, uh, I've seen, but very serious, shocking. So I, I, am definitely interested in the more serious aspects of the genre as well and how the genre can be, um, can be used to tell stories that really speak to the human condition in a way that, say, a straight drama or you know, a straight medical drama might seem like, you know, a preachment or, or uh, you know, educational lesson. I guess like you know, directors like David Cronenberg, you know, these guys, um, Roman Polanski. These are you know the masters of, of of that sort of thing. And the Unborn was, you know, the I I, I was I had been. Uh, working for Roger Corman as a producer, actually, mm -hmm. wanting my chance to direct and uh, a treatment of the unborn kind of came across my desk and I didn't show it to him. I wanted that for myself. I wanted to save that until I knew it was my time to to direct a, a movie. <laughs> Excuse me. And comedy is really hard. I mean, horror, horror is very hard. Comedy is hard. They're both similar they're I, I i say they're both two sides of the same coin because they're both about um subverting expectations right but i uh i guess because i grew up watching creature features i thought okay if i could make a movie my first movie if i could make a movie that is the kind of movie that would be shown on creature features 30 40 50 years from now then i'd be happy and the unborn seemed like that kind of kind of classic 
scary <laughs> haunted house type movie, even though it was about, you know, it was about a pregnancy gone wrong. So that was, that was, um, that was the intention there. And then you're right later. Um, I, uh, although I was always interested in comedy and even in the casting of like the unborn, I had at that time I had been going to, um, play, uh, see comedy shows and comedy groups like, um, like the groundlings, which mm-hmm. are, Right. Use the word legendary. Uh, the, the groundlings are certainly legendary. I don't know about myself, but that comedy troupe, I mean, they've, you know, half the cast of Saturday Night Live has come out of the groundlings and, you know, people like Paul Rumitz, Pee Wee Herman, you know. So if you look at the cast of The Unborn, even in smaller roles, you'll see find people like um, like Lisa Kudrow and Kathy Griffin. And, they, you know, I both loved them. Uh, they were working at the Groundlings at the time. And I just knew, even though those were not necessarily comedic roles, I just knew they were super talented um, and knew they could kill it. And I, you know, both uh, literally and figuratively in their talents. So, uh, so yeah, so the comedy was always kind of an interest, even though The Unborn was a serious movie. And then it really was, yeah, Tales from the Crypt that kind of, you know, merged those two sensibilities for me as a director that I got to play with that. Yeah. Tales, cause Tales from the Crypt was very grand guignol and over the top and, you know, the, the crypt keeper making his, his lame punny jokes and all that. That was, that was certainly part of it. Yeah. They're, they're, they're all, those are memorable for sure. I, I'm, I'm curious about your, uh, your foray into the comedy world because I read that you wrote for the Harvard Lampoon. Correct. How do you bring? I mean, that's such a was a great publication. Do you bring any of that into your films? And when you write comedy and uh, whatnot, what, what's the process like? And what what do you uh, find funny personally? Well, I, I'm of I'm of the age where you know uh, SCTV was was like a um, like the clouds the, the comedy clouds opening up. Uh, you know John Candy and and Andrea Martin and and Eugene Levy and of course Monty Python, um, but for some reason SCTV those two shows Monty Python's Flying Circus and and SCTV. So now I do love Schitt's Creek. Wonderful um, show. Seeing yeah, seeing Eugene, I think those guys Catherine O'Hara and Eugene Levy are they you know they are they are still I believe at the top of their game on on Schitt's Creek. But that kind of uh, look at show business, the way SCTV, and kind of how SCTV. I have, I don't know if you guys have seen it in reruns or anything, but they the, the, they kind of just like built this world and had these recurring characters. So it was kind of like an in joke. If you kept watching the show, you became familiar with these characters. But then, if even if you, I even if you didn't weren't you know uh, didn't watch the show on a regular basis, the sketches were still hilarious. I, I think many of the contemporary Saturday Night Live cast members uh, are great. I think like Will Forte is, uh, he just, he cracks me up. Um, I, like, uh, I like I uh, like Broad City. I think that's a hilarious show. I, I mean, I could talk, I know you're a horror movie podcast, but I could certainly talk, I, I do okay. love comedy and I could but, talk but about I, shows that I find funny. And, but what I think is like really difficult to do that you've, nailed down is mixing both the horror and the comedy genre well thanks i mean it is it's 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 a challenge uh oh oh just jumping back and i i just talking about the comedy shows i love 
Um, I mean, SCT was going way, way back, but just for, fast forwarding through the years, I have to give props to Flight of the Concords. Oh, yes. Uh, I've seen them live twice. Oh, <laughs> uh, aren't they great? Yeah. yeah the, the first time I saw them, it was at uh, Amoeba Hollywood <laughs> back way back when they were playing in an in-store at the record store because I still love records and vinyl both Preston and I do and I believe you do as well so I do if you look at my Instagram feed I I always uh I'm posting weird records I find yeah and in fact when I you know I've been going to um with the movie uh the 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 Eat Brains Love has been on like the festival circuit and it's taken me to some cities I've never been to before like Kansas City Missouri and you know Winchester Virginia and and whenever I go to a new city like the first place I want to I, I want to go to the first thing I look up on Yelp is vinyl records. I want to go yep. to the local city's vinyl record store, and that's like how I judge the city if they got a cool vinyl record <laughs> store, and if I can find find some shit I haven't seen before, some I've been digging around for, um, then I'm happy. That is like uh, that's me and my natural habitat is digging around the the vinyl record store. It's it's super uh, fun. It I, I love doing. I do the same thing, and I, I believe Kansas City has a really good one uh, called Josie Records, which is based yep. out of Dallas, and they opened up a satellite store in Kansas. Yeah, they've got a couple of good ones in Chicago. Um, I went to a couple of really, you know, I was at the Windy City Horror Rama and went to um, Bucket of Blood in Chicago and to give them some love. They um, had movies and records and. So yes, uh, physical media. I don't have. It's so funny. I, I I like to put on a record because to me that's like a commitment. You know, you put on the side of a record and and you're like committed to listening to that side for ten, fifteen, twenty minutes, whatever. You know, when um, it's great to have the entire uh, world of, of recorded music in your pocket, and it's especially good as a filmmaker to you know, help find the right song and jump around and you know like in five or six seconds whether a song is working or not. So that is an amazing, amazing tool. But in, turn, in terms of like, you know, when I'm home and I just want to stop for a second and, and listen to music, kind of the commitment of putting on a record for 10 minutes, 15 minutes is the best. Right. So does music inform the way that you shoot things? Like set up shots? It's- it has uh, the um, you mentioned the unborn. My first movie. We we're beginning to talk about that. I was making Super Eight movies in high school, and one of the most successful Super Eight horror movies I made. I had scored to an instrumental B side of a track by Gary Newman, who had a you know huge long career in the UK and had a big top 10 hit in the United States with cars. Mm -hmm. Um, but I I was a big fan of his, of of his album tracks and stuff. And this, um, this, uh, instrumental piece that he wrote worked really well with the movie. And so, and scared people. It had like jump, jump scares kind of built into it. And when it came time for me to do the unborn, the um, music supervisor who was working for Roger Corman at the time, a gentleman named Paul DeFranco, I said to Paul, you know, I'd really, this uh, Gary Newman track worked so well when I was in high school. I'd love to get that kind of sound. Who do you think we can get to, to do that? And Paul said, well, why don't we ask Gary Newman? And I thought, really? We could do that? We could, like, ask him? He said, yeah, you can ask anybody anything. So... Um, we did, 
And I had uh, I, I had an intern in the office pretend to be my assistant because I had no assistant. I was working for Roger Corman, and, and she <laughs> called him, got his number, and she said, "Like, hold for Mr. Flender, please." You know, had to, like, <laughs> give her a few bucks. Luckily, I mean, Gary was actually interested in doing soundtrack work at the time. Uh, one thing led to another, and I sent him the script, and he started writing cues before I even started shooting just based on the tone of the movie and, and the fact that he had already, the fact that I already told him, you know, your cue, I, I want to do a whole movie soundtrack that has the sound of your, your song asylum. That was the name of the song asylum. And, and, and since he, that was his song, he knew that he knew what it sounded like. Uh, and he started sending me tracks and this was, you know, before the internet. So he would have to, you know, he put them on DAT, tape and then mail them to me, international mail, and that would take a few days, and then I would get the tapes and, and listen. And that actually helped inform um, how I w was thinking about the scenes as I was staging them. That was the only time I did that, and I'd love to do it again, because I think it really helped. And when you see the movie and hear the music, I think it's really organic. I think it seems, it doesn't, I think you can tell Sometimes, um, you know, the way it's traditionally done is you edit your movie, you finish editing, and then you and the editor kind of put together a temp score based on other soundtracks or some songs. And then you hire a composer who does a sound alike or tries to get something closer, does kind of his version of that. The Unborn was like, you know, that was there was no temp score. The the score that Gary was writing was the score. He wrote some cues. He didn't even know where they belonged in the movie. And I would sort of cut them up and repeat in the editing room, kind of repeat certain refrains and then send them back to him. And then um, so that was an, in, an incredibly satisfying collaborative process in terms of music. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'd love to work that way again. I'd love to work with Gary again. I thought I thought he did a beautiful job. And. I'd love to see that. You know, now, getting back to vinyl records, so many soundtracks, older soundtracks, soundtracks from the 80s and 90s are, are, are coming out on vinyl records with companies like, um, you know, like Waxworks and all these other companies that are remastering and reissuing soundtracks. I'd love to see a real unborn mm. um, soundtrack well, we, vinyl record come out. <laughs> yeah, we've, ha we've had the, the guys at Mondo on the show before, and so uh, we might have them on again and give them that, uh, that pitch. push, that pitch, because we'd yeah, love to see it, it too, because uh, we, we, we love it here. We do record reviews, uh, and we just love horror soundtracks and basically just all types of music, because, I mean, it, on vinyl, because we love the, the artwork, we love the liner notes, and you just can't roll a joint on an MP3, so we love the... We love the, the yeah. record, the LP aspect, and it's uh, we love it. We would love to see those films out on vinyl, so hopefully very soon. Well, if you're rolling joints, you really need the gatefold. <laughs> you got to get the, yeah, you really need that gatefold to get the, the so I've heard. Yeah, so, so I've heard. I, I yeah. didn't exhale. Really we want helps. to get to uh, talking about eight, uh, Eat Brains Love, but there's one thing I wanted to ask just because I've never asked anybody in television before, and you have quite a few television credits that uh, were significantly part of my childhood uh, with The O.C., Gilmore Girls, Dawson's Creek, Party of Five, Suburgatory, Scream, the TV series. 
and uh, most recently on Becoming a God in Central Florida. But um, is it important for you to know the TV show, the TV series, front to back uh, before coming on board to a project? Or does do you how much do you need to know before you uh, uh, come on board to shoot an episode or two? I think it depends on the show. If it's, uh, I mean, you know, the way TV is told now really is kind of told in seasons. Um, and I think you do need to, uh, you know, you, <laughs> it, it needs, if it's, if, if your episode is one chapter that's part of a larger arc, you've got to know where it's coming from and it would help to know where it's going too. Uh, other shows I've done are more just kind of procedural in nature uh, that was really kind of early, much, much, much earlier in my career. Uh, I did kind of more, you know, but that, and that's just the way TV was like a show like, um, Chicago hope, which was a hospital show. And there was, even though there was a smaller overarching arc for the season, nevertheless, like each week it was a hospital story. So, um, but a show, so, and, uh, so, and then like jumping forward to the show you just mentioned on becoming a God in central Florida, that has a very, 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 um, very contemporary style TV show. It has a uh, longer arc. Has a lot. Yeah. It's, it's, it is one season and the season, the season is a story. So for that show, uh, I really did have to, and I, and that was the first season of that show. So there weren't even a lot of episodes to watch there. They had, when I started directing, they had just locked picture, I think on the pilot episode, that was it. So they were still, um, I think I did episode three or four. It was, it was one of the early ones. So they were all still kind of figuring out the tone. I mean, they knew exactly where the story was going, but in terms of, of the chemistry between the actors and all that, like they, they were all still figuring that out. Um, Scream similarly, again, that was, I did uh, season one and season two. So having, I was obviously having done season one that helped with season two. Uh, So it, it depends. It really depends. A show like the office, I came into the office much later in its run. I joined that, that show. I did a couple of episodes of that show uh, in season nine. Now I had already been a fan of that show so I knew it. I knew all those characters. Another great, so I talk about great comedy shows. It's that's, you know, that's, that's up there on the Mount Rushmore of American comedy, uh, half hours, I right. think the office. <laughs> uh, so I didn't really, you know, I just kind of chatted to see kind of where they were going in the broad strokes with that season. But because I had been a fan of that show, I knew those characters. And I, I got to say, I was so surprised. That was such an amazing experience for me because I thought, like, you know, what am I going to tell those actors about about their characters that they've been doing for so long? But they wanted direction. They wanted input, and that was so. It was such a treat for me to be um, a collaborator in that process. So that's kind of a long winded. I'm rambling this morning, aren't I? I just had like this super. I got this supercharged coffee from <laughs> Amazon.com. It's like it's got like eight times the caffeine of a regular cup of coffee. So you may need to. I don't know if you can slow this down and and, and we'll, we'll play it, it at, judiciously. Uh, speed and but, a half. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, no, I like no, it. No, we, we we enjoy these stories. Uh, coincidentally, just last night, because uh, my wife and I. My wife's favorite show is The Office, 
And so we put it on to kind of lull ourselves to sleep. And so we've gone through it probably, I don't know, 20 times or something like that. And just last night, your episode, The Whale, came on. And I was like, oh, shit. That's Rodman's episode. <laughs> it's a good episode. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Uh, um, and I, I'm curious. So you're the unborn and idle hands that you've done uh, are part of the Scream Factory uh, collection. How does that work? Do they reach out to you? Do you like campaign to be on like Scream Factory or Criterion? And what's the process in revisiting these films for something like Scream Factory? So Scream Factory and their you know parents company Shout Factory, Shout Factory, uh, you know they um, they're really in the business of sort of buying libraries and buying uh, seasons of shows. You know they put out like the the full season of Freaks and Geeks and other kind of classic TV shows and their horror single Scream Factory, uh, you know, obviously does the genre stuff and do, does an amazing job with John Carpenter's movies. And they, they mm-hmm. really, really, really care and do a beautiful job of all their re-releases. So Shout Factory, they uh, bought the Roger Corman library. They bought the, I want to say like North American rights of, of most of Roger Corman's titles New World, Concord, New Horizons, and what their how, how they choose to release them and what their release schedules. I'm not. I, I know they do listen to their fans. They've told me that they're that they're on Facebook and respond to what their fans request. So when they got the library, it was it was really one of their choices to remaster the Unborn and uh, among others. And they reached out to me and asked, you know, if uh, if I would do a new audio commentary. Uh, first of all, I was thrilled that they were doing it because The Unborn was photographed by Wally Pfister, director of photography, who's since gone on to shoot a few things for people like Christopher Nolan and has won an Academy Award for Inception. I mean, he's, you know, one of the best directors of photography we've got working today. Um, so the fact that he shot it, that alone is worth, um, remastering and getting a beautiful, you know, getting an upgrade from the old VHS. So, um, thrilled that they were, that, that, that it was in their hands and they, I knew they would make it look great. Now they were also among the other titles in that batch that they were doing around the same time was a, a movie that was made when I was, uh, working uh, in the production department for Rogers uh, uh, by a friend of mine, uh, a guy named Adam Simon, a movie called Brain Dead. I don't know if you've seen his movie, oh, yeah. Brain Dead. Yes. So these movies, so the Unborn and Brain Dead, we they were, I guess, they're made within a year of each other. And Adam, they'd asked Adam to do a new audio commentary for Brain Dead. At the same time, they asked me to do a new audio commentary for the Unborn. And we did them, he and I did them back to back. He interviewed me for The Unborn and I interviewed Adam hmm. for Brain Dead. And so in true Roger Corman fashion, they were able to get two audio commentaries out of one studio booking. You know, they didn't have to <laughs> book, book the studio twice. Uh, that's something that Roger really would have been proud of. And if your <laughs> listeners, I mean, Adam and I go deep into uh, the experience of making these films on both of our commentaries. And, and you know, he and I are old friends. So if you want to really hear some anecdotes about um, and go deep 
deep dive into what it was um, like making movies for Roger Corman in the in the late '80s and early '90s. Check out those commentaries. I think I think you'll get a kick out of them. Cool, cool, for sure. And you know what? Oh, and you had mentioned Idle Hands. Yeah, that, Idle Hands. Yeah, Idle sure. Hands was um, Columbia Pictures release, Sony. And I don't know. Again, that is ha- the deals that a Screen Factory make with the big studios. Is a I, I don't know how that works. I, I think they some libraries are are more accessible to them than others. And I've heard those guys on other podcasts talk about that. But they Idle Hands got got on their radar, and I'm I couldn't be happier because uh, Idle Hands had a um, you know kind of a, a, a complicated. Release. I've talked about this on other interviews and podcasts, and and it unfortunately got when it was released 21 years ago. Now it got caught up in this kind of political shitstorm around the tragedy at Columbine, and the movie really didn't get the support or attention we'd hoped it would get. And and, I, and the years went by, and I really hadn't thought about it that much. So cut to twenty years later, and it's like the twentieth anniversary, and I've been been asked to like appear at anniversary screenings, and I was like surprised, like really. And I learned that the movie has this kind of you know that, that people really like it and has this kind of cult following, and it it moved me legs. quite a lot because yeah, it had legs exactly. <laughs> it moved me quite a lot because. Um, you know, it was it was it was uh, it was just a, a very difficult experience for for everyone, for the country, and uh, for everyone at that time. So the fact that Scream Factory is is going to give it their loving treatment again means a lot to me. I'm, I couldn't be happier. That works out. We we were happy for it too. Yeah, and a slipcover. I'm a sucker for those, and so it's got its own little collector's edition slipcover with some really badass art on it. Yep, really badass. I love it. So uh, we're going to shift real quickly over to Eat Brain's Love. I really uh, dug your speech in class this morning. We're going to watch a film on the dangers of unsafe sex. Can't believe I'm hooking up with the hottest girl in school. Unsafe sex. Unsafe sex. Unsafe sex. Zombies. What? Yep, zombies. Isolated cases of a zombie virus started popping up around the country. We still don't know much about the virus. All we do know is it's transmitted through sex. I swear that has never happened to me. Kind of diving a little bit deeper into some of the things that we've already discussed with navigating tone in terms of comedy and horror but with here you know this is like a zom rom-com in that <laughs> you know you're also bringing the the romance into the picture and uh i'm a i'm a sucker for romance so that was some of the stuff that i enjoyed the most in this film so i i, I wonder what it was like trying to navigate that in this particular picture and well uh, the the story you know the it, it all started with a book with a novel uh, by a gentleman named Jeff Hart called of the same title, Eat Brains Love, it was a young adult novel. So all of those, that tone and all of those elements that you're talking about were in his book. I, I can't take credit for that. Um, it, people have asked me like, oh, well, you know, you're doing a zombie movie. Isn't the zombie market oversaturated? Aren't we, uh, you know, isn't it the whole zombie thing played out? Um and I w- would say maybe I'd say yes, we are kind of oversaturated with with zombie stories and zombie movies. However, there are still good ones being made. 
uh, you know, recently I, I loved The Girl with All the Gifts. I think that is a terrific, terrific zombie movie. Um, and having said that, what attracted me to this uh, were those elements that you're talking about, the romance. And I, I, I didn't really look, my secret is I really didn't look at Eat Brain's Love or approach it like a zombie movie. I approached it like a like a romance and like a road movie. Uh, to me, the... Um, Movies that I like showed the cast and talked about were movies like Matthew Bright's Freeway or uh, David Lynch's Wild at Heart, um, you know, kind of very dark road movies that have do have a, a, a romantic element in there or even going way, way, way back. Like before my time, it happened one night, the classic 1930s screwball comedy romance road movie. Um, I guess it's not a screwball comedy. It's it's just more of a road movie comedy. So I don't, you know, so knowing that I look at this as kind of a road movie romance, uh, it happened one night, like two very different people thrown together on this road adventure uh, primarily. And then the zombie element, the flesh-eating element is is – um, secondary to that, that's just kind of like what they're dealing with. Um, I think, uh, that's, does that answer your question? That's kind of how I dealt with it. Like I, 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 I chose to focus really for me, the focus was on this romantic road story. And these, these were the other things that were happening to them. Like, you know, you can have a, a road movie that's political or a road movie, you know, it doesn't, there could be other things going on, but, um, that was uh, that was sort of my way into it to begin with. I don't know if that answers your question or not, but uh, no, no, it does. Uh, right now. No, just even bringing up talking about the how the zombie genre may be oversaturated at the moment, but with this particular film, the concept of turning into a zombie when you're hungry because we all get you know hangry every now and then but uh that 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 was interesting to us as watching it like having those little moments where like the scars begin to appear on the hand and then they have to eat right then and there and that's what made it unique for us no yeah that's what i always look for in a zombie film because i think i review or i watch almost all zombie tv shows and movies and i always look for that what's the what's the element what's the what's the the thing here in this film that makes it different and it's clearly evident in eat brains love how it is and uh that i i enjoyed that and i specifically i have a penchant for blood and gore and guts and practical effects and eat brains love had quite a bit of that and i loved seeing these zombies tear away flesh and the throat and eating, it all happened. eating a dick yeah the- yeah all of that greatness and i just gotta ask uh rodman did you enjoy filming all the practical getting all the actors bloodied and whatnot yeah i loved it and i agree with you i do uh, appreciate practical effects and i you know grew up watching the Friday the 13th movies and Tom Savini's work and the, you know, Lucio Fulci's movies. I, you know, maybe I'm, uh, again, I'm, I'm, it's just a generational thing, but like CG blood just never looks right to me. It doesn't. I don't think that, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it, it, yeah, it just never looks right. And for a couple of reasons, it just, um, you know, the light and the texture of CG blood doesn't look right, but also it has to do with the actors. And how they're reacting and 
actors just react differently. You get a better performance when something is practical and they're seeing it right then and there. I think it was um, in, uh, oh, uh, where was I? I don't know, maybe in an audio commentary about, about uh, Alien. I was reading about Alien and about how, you know, that if that um, chest burster had been CG, you wouldn't have gotten the reaction from those actors in that scene. So um, similarly, I, uh, I tried to go practical as much as I could. And most of it is, pra- you know, I think there's, there's one CG effect that I wanted to do practically and we just didn't have the time. Um, I don't want to spoil it for those listening who haven't, um, haven't seen the movie yet, but, um, it's, you know, you can't, you'll, you, you know what it, you'll know what it is when you oh, see yeah. it, but most of the, all, all of the, the flesh eating and, and stomach ripping and all that. Yeah. All of that was practical. Uh, it, um, I, I liked seeing it, it's very hard to do, especially on a low budget, um, because take two is very time consuming. Having a clean, you know, you, you look at that stuff and then you think, oh, well, who's going to clean it up? And how do you get, <laughs> like, how many, how many multiples of the wardrobe do you have? To, the John um, Wick guys. You know, yeah. And then, yeah. And you've got to wash the blood out of their hair and all that. So, um, so it's time consuming, but, um, but I think it's, I think it's worth it. I really, uh, I really do um, uh, appreciate it. I loved that work as a kid, seeing it, and um, that that. Uh, uh, thank you, thanks for saying that. It's it's. I I didn't know if it would be appreciated now because with CG, you know, you can do anything. If you could think it, you can do it. So, um, uh, you know, we can't. We we just practically cannot compete with what can be done CG, but I, I just hope the fact that it is done practically and, and the way it catches the light. And as I said, the way the actors react to it is, um, appreciated. Right. No, it, it, it was. And I, and I, I enjoyed that. And, you know, watching the film, some movies you can tell when the, the crew and the cast are just having a blast and a ball on set and, Eat Brains Love look just like that. You can feel the infection, the the infection, the infectious uh, glow of everybody working on the movie. That how much they enjoyed it, and was yeah. that right? Yeah. yeah, especially for me during the the scene where is it Amanda? Is Amanda the yeah yeah uh, you know, uh, she when she uh, bites off the head of the rat and starts doing karaoke? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's just golden. I, I mean, I feel like on set it was just like a, a, a great time. Yeah. Well, funny you mentioned that scene because An- uh, <laughs> Angelique Rivera, who plays Amanda, uh, everyone was a trooper. And in this movie, there was not, I got to say, there was not one prima donna in the cast. Everyone was great. And everyone was tested in their own way and in their own scene. And in that scene, the rat... Um, and uh, I'm an animal person. Which no, no rats were harmed. They were all treated well. Okay. And the the actors maybe not so much because in that scene, um, uh, right when we started rolling, the rat pooped all over. <laughs> just took a big rat dump right on her. And Trooper that Angelique is just kept going. And, um, you know, it's a cut. She said, there's like rat poop all over me. So you have to clean that off. And uh, then we did take two. And mm-hmm. um, so 
Uh, <laughs> better be in the gag reel, though. Yeah, better yeah. be in the gag reel. It, it almost seemed kind of like, you know, the whole Sam Raimi, Bruce Campbell dynamic of just like throw all the blood on them and they'll, they'll, they'll get it. <laughs> They're going right. through the ringer. I yeah. like that aspect. So um, let, let's, let, let, let's move on a little bit. We're going to do our bloody question right now, which we uh, do a themed question horror every week. Sometimes we bring it to Reddit. And in the vein of Eat Brains Love, the question was, uh, pitch a zombie movie starring Julia Roberts. Because I don't think Julia Roberts has been in a zombie film yet no. that I can remember. So, Preston, you want to go first? Oh. Uh, sure. Yeah, just to kind of play on the obviously uh, eat, pray, love. To me, she's one of the queens of the romance genre, so I would cast her in a, a remake of When Harry Met Sally, and so it would be part the first part of a series of films in the same vein of you know the book series, which also was turned into a film, Pride, Prejudice, and Zombies, where classic uh, romantic movies get zombified. So naturally, I would call it When Harry Ate Sally. <laughs> so uh, mm-hmm. there's that but I'd also just because um, you know she has this she's in these certain kinds of films like she has a particular role that she tends to chase and I would like to see her in something in a zombie film and so I would cast her in like maybe 28 years later if uh, Danny Boyle ever decided to make the third chapter to that yeah that'd be great So I like, like that, that. Um, hmm. I'll pitch mine I'm going to do a sequel to Ocean's Eleven <laughs> mm. and uh uh, George Clooney's kind of ill and he's maybe starting to turn and so Julia Roberts picks up the slack and um, they are about to rob another bank however a zombie uh, outbreak happens and she comes becomes the leader of the Oceans group trying to take out a horde of zombies <laughs> in some form or fashion cool I like that uh, what about you do you have something who me yeah <laughs> Um, we're we're going to start okay. a story right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. Let's do um I'm going to do uh um Erin Brockovich 2 because <laughs> I think she was fantastic in Erin Brockovich. That's like her you know, beautiful beautiful actress but but she has the acting chops too as well. Yeah. And and uh and she really showed them off in Erin Brockovich and um in Aaron, uh, I'm making this up as I go along, but in Aaron Brockovich too, there's this uh, uh, makeup that is making all these um, women and men look younger. But there's a but what it's doing is it's actually um, like Batman. Eating, uh, what's that? Like Batman with Jack Nicholson with all the makeup, and then they take off the mask and they're really ugly. <laughs> oh, so it's been done. Damn it! I was gonna say that. Um, that uh, what um, in in this makeup, uh, what they've what Maybelline has done, or let's not call it Maybelline. Let's <laughs> yeah. you know call it some you know I don't know uh, Freddie's makeup or something. You know that <laughs> uh, that that he's um, uh, they have solved the uh, zombie apocalypse um, by mini- miniaturizing all the zombies. They couldn't get rid of them, but they've put them in a um, in like a you know like a fantastic voyage uh, kind of miniaturization machine, and uh, put them these tiny 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 zombies in this makeup, and that's applied to people's skin, and they eat they they eat the layer uh, of skin, making these people look younger because they're just eating the um, 
the uh, epidermis. And um, so, so uh, uh, they uh, initially look younger, but as time goes on, they eat down to the bone. And Aaron Brockovich um, learns of this plan and must stop it. And so the movie has, uh, it goes back and forth between the uh, regular world and the miniaturization world, like for uh, like Fantastic Voyage on the cellular level. And the zombies learn um, that Aaron Brockovich is going to stop them. And how are they going to do that? That is the uh, dilemma of the movie. How will these um, mini, you know, cell, cellular sized zombies stop Aaron Brockovich from um, destroying them. <laughs> the fact that you came up with that right there is pretty damn impressive. <laughs> I got a million of them. I, you know, hey, I got a million of them. Just uh, don't, don't hold me back. No, we'll, I, I, we'll call you who's, who's in gonna every week. Who's going to give me a, you know, $100 million to make this now? Yeah, no, so I, I, it on, I brought it to Reddit, and I said, let's say you have $50 million in Julia Roberts to make any zombie okay. movie. For $50 million, yeah. Right, and so a couple people replied they actually thought I was a movie producer with Julia Roberts by my side asking for help. <laughs> but uh, other people said, uh, each of the killer 62 said dead magnolias. And I was like, okay, I guess she comes oh. back from steel magnolias. Uh, um, let's see. A zombie version of pretty woman rotting hill as opposed to nodding hill and mystic piece of flesh, <laughs> nice. which is wonderful as well. So uh, yeah, I, li- I-, I like this Julia Roberts. If you listen, we want to do a zombie movie. <laughs> and we, and They're all gold, all of those. Yes, all, all gold. I, I agree, I agree. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll move on to our next segment, um, uh, Bloody Tunes, which we uh, pick a song we want to suggest to you because I think all three of us love music and records. And we want to tell you about a song and an album uh, that it relates to, uh, makes us think of Eat Brains Love. And I'll go first, and I... You know, seeing this, and uh, I just, I, I thought immediately of the late Rocky Erickson, uh, his song, I Walk With I a Zombie. I Walk With a Zombie. Yes. yes, of course. And I love that uh, you can find this album most, most, most of the time on vinyl, and it's usually a live performance where he does all these horror songs, and I Walk With a Zombie is fantastic uh, by Rocky Erickson. If you don't know who Rocky Erickson is, Look him up. 13th Floor Elevators. Yes. A great documentary about uh, what he kind of, um, yeah, and, and it's called um, it's called You're Gonna Miss Me, which was the title of, of his band's biggest hit, The 13th Floor Elevators. But have you seen that documentary, You're Gonna Miss Me? It's kind of, it's heartbreaking. I mean, right. It's really I, yeah, amazing. I haven't seen it. I have not seen it yet. I definitely plan on it because I love 13th Floor Elevators and I love Rocky Erickson. Um, he played in Dallas a few times before he passed, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a huge fan, and I love the the horror album he did. Uh, and I, this song, "I Walked with a Zombie," I just love how it just kind of starts. It's great, and then just the title of the song completely at the beginning. Uh, I, I love it. So yeah, I, I, I like this song, and I thought it went well with "Eat Brains Love." But uh, Preston, what about you? Uh, mine also has zombie in the title, and uh, so Ryan Gosling has a band, or he, he did, he had a music project back in 2009 called Dead Man's Bones, and the song is My Body's a Zombie for You, so it may be a little on the nose, but uh, I feel like it, capt- it has like this romantic melody, and it's backed with uh, Gosling's like rattly voice in a choir of kids chanting like a Karen O song. 
So uh, it, it just captures the feeling, especially uh, in Eat Brains Love. There's a one of my favorite scenes is when they're on the road together, and then there's a, a montage that happens when they're uh, trying to find something to eat, and it's like just beginning their love for each other and i feel like this song would perfectly fit uh in that moment in capturing that that youthful love feel so that'd be my pick ryan gosling i like it (laughs) i remember seeing that album at um urban outfitters of all places Outfitters has like records when you're when you know like you're one of us and you're and you're hungry for vinyl you'll you'll go where wherever wherever <laughs> yeah so they had that I remember they they used to stock that and it's good huh I should pick it up yeah it's pretty good the, uh, one of the songs was uh, we were just talking about this before we recorded uh, one of the songs was uh, used in the Conjuring uh, the 2013 original Conjuring film so that well, at least made some sort of uh, debut okay. in film in some capacity but all his all his songs on that particular album seem like they're inspired by the universal monster age and uh the monsters it has like this gothic feel and the the album art looks like they're a bunch of misfit uh fans and the even the music videos that they have that you can watch on youtube for a song called pop uh pop up power um just kids chanting like as if they're part of pet cemetery or something like that uh so yeah perfect Rodman, do you have That's one? Awesome. Well, I um, I feel very lucky in that um, the uh, 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 I, w- I was able to license the song, um, e- even though lyrically it didn't really match up, but just the feel seemed right. It was called "Heart of a Dog" by The Kills. Uh, I've, I've seen uh, them in concert. Oh, oh, isn't she amazing? Yeah, yes. they're great. And and. It's sort of like what I was talking about um, in terms of uh, Gary Newman earlier. When I even when I was in, I guess not pre when I was in production of uh, Eat Brains Love. For some reason, the the, the sound of the kills um, seemed seemed right. Just that kind of rock and roll, uh, that kind of looseness seemed right. And also, you know how when um, when Dawn of the Dead came out. Uh, Romero's Dawn of the Dead, and it's uh, like music by the Goblins, and it was Goblin, right. you know. Yes. And people people kind of chuckled. I really liked the idea if um, I could have put it up. I didn't have uh, credits up at the front of the movie. I we just had credits at the end. But I thought we were, I thought it, it just seemed appropriate to say like, "Eat Brains, Love Songs by the Kills," you know, seemed yeah. <laughs> so like an ode to <laughs> Goblin in that way. So, uh, um, but. Um, so I really like that song. Maybe um, "Ever Fallen in Love with Someone You Shouldn't Have Fallen in Love With" by right. the Buzzcocks uh-huh. is a song that uh, uh, seems like has the message of the movie. Again, it's it's it doesn't specifically go into the um, <laughs> the zombie aspect, but in terms of feel uh, um, and uh, and the message, I'd say that's uh, that's. Um, about about right, yeah, and maybe something by you know the Cramps because again, just their kind of their sort of horror aesthetic and even like I don't know their version of of uh, Surf and Bird or something. Just the the whole aesthetic of the Cramps, that kind of psycho Billy, seemed appropriate for uh, Eat Brains Love or yeah. something. 
Yeah, I like that. I, I love all those bands you mentioned. Um, and we'll, we'll move on to uh, our, our last segment here, the, the bloody recommendation one where we uh, give you a recommendation, new, old, vintage, just something we want to just highly recommend to you that you might have forgot about that we want you to watch. Um, and going with Eat Brains Love that I think would make a fun double feature. Um, I've mentioned this uh, before, but... There is a film called uh, Cockneys vs. Zombies. This is an emergency broadcast. There is a viral infection spreading fast through the capital. Shut up, you shopping tart. Those things out there are fucking zombies. Yeah, it's zombies. Is that as fast as they go? <laughs> That's how you do it. And I'm always looking for different original zombie films, and I think Eat Brains Love is one of them. And I think Cockneys vs. Zombies just does something different with the genre. It, it, is, it uh, basically has a zombie outbreak at, at a retirement home with a bunch of elderly English people led by the guy who played Bricktop in Snatch. And it's... Yeah. Really funny. Uh, there's a little romantic angle in there, and it's just something different. And I think uh, with Eat Brains Love and Cockneys vs. Zombies, they go a, a great double feature together. And so if you haven't seen Cockneys vs. Zombies, I think you will enjoy that. So there you go. Um, Preston? Sure. So mine doesn't relate to zombies at all, but it was just an experience that I had last week with my wife. I showed her for the very first time. The original 1979, When a Stranger Calls. Hello? Have you checked the children? What? Hello, could you get me the police? Well, there's nothing you can do about it down here. Uh, Have you checked the children? He's watching me through the windows. Well, if he calls again, we can try to trace it. Why haven't you checked the children? Please, can't you help me? I'm all alone here. I, I review Blu-rays that come out, and Mill Creek Entertainment just fashioned this really nice Blu-ray where they put, like, again, slipcovers. has a really nice retro slipcover on it that makes it look like a VHS with completed with the Be Kind Rewind sticker and, like, a edge. The, the edges look worn and that sort of look. And so I, I showed it to her for the first time because it was a movie that had a big impact on me when I was in high school. And uh, it was interesting for her, especially now that I have a two-year-old. My wife and I have a two-year-old, and so he was asleep in the other room, and so we're watching this, and we're getting terrified because the movie itself is like three different films in one, in that she expected, my wife, that the first part of the movie was going to be what the whole movie was about. Wonderful, bloody cocktail mix of Halloween and uh, Black Christmas, of her being of the babysitter, played by Carol Kane, watching some kids, and then getting a call by some stranger. But then after that, it shifts into a different film in the middle section with it almost becomes When a Stranger Follows You Home. <laughs> and a complete different victim. And then the it's rounded out in a place beyond the pines kind of way. I guess I'm bringing up Ryan Gosling quite a bit today. Um, <laughs> has a, a third chapter that feels like it would be the, the true sequel to the original film right. of it taking place seven years later and following her kids. Just 
the moment in the film of the police coming over to the crime scene and then being like he was in there for hours <laughs> while she was there is fucking terrifying. And so I wanted to go wake up my son. <laughs> and so if you want to be just completely floored and have a lot of anxiety about your kids, uh, this is the one to do it for you. Um, <laughs> it's operating on horror on a very grounded level. And so uh, I, like that. I think too many people, especially of my age group, they're more familiar with the the remake, and I feel that the the original is where it's at. And so I think that, especially through Mill Creek at a very affordable price, yeah, ten dollars, um, you can pick that up and watch it uh, any day. I like it. Uh, and Rodman, do you got a got a big suggestion for us? Uh, how much time do I have? Uh, <laughs> talking about movies for hours. I mentioned uh, uh, Freeway by Matthew Bright, Reese Witherspoon is uh, uh, all over the place these days. I mean, she's on the Apple uh, TV show, The Morning Show, um, and she's doing a lot of great serious work. Uh, this was one of the first things Reese Witherspoon um, did, and it is a total gopher-broke, star-making performance. I don't know. I mean, she had to have been in her early 20s, if not her late teens, when she when she made this movie. And it's uh, – have you, have you guys seen it? Yes. Yes. Yeah, so you know what I'm talking about. It's like a Little Red Riding Hood story um, set in modern times, um, and Kiefer Sutherland is the big bad wolf on her on her trail, and it's funny and dark and and a road movie and and weird, and she is is just amazing in it. Um, I think make a, a good double feature with with Eat Brains Love. So that's an older movie. Um, in terms of, of new things, I uh, one of the great things about um, going on film, fe- going to film festivals with Eat Brains Love is that I'm getting to see other movies that are just coming out and maybe just hitting the streaming services now uh, that have blown me away. And two um, kind of dark comedies that uh, you're talking about, like the horror comedy thing, uh, that I think just hit it really successfully is there's a Russian movie called Why Don't You Just Die? Have either of you seen that? No, no that, that By, sounds right up my alley. Uh, Kirill, I'm going to mispronounce his name, Kirill Sokolov. And it, what he did, what his intention was, is he wanted to hit the Russian movie, so he had very little money, and he wanted to do a spaghetti western in an apartment. He just wanted to shoot, like, have the scope of a spaghetti western, <laughs> um, but all shot in one apartment. That's and ambitious. And he hit a home run. Yes, yeah, so <laughs> a awesome. very ambitious thing, and he and he nailed it. And that is, I saw that's going to be, um, if it isn't out already on the streaming services, it's coming. That's called Why Don't You Just Die? And then another movie, uh, a more traditional guy's kind of horror comedy, is a movie called Extraordinary. Oh, yeah, with uh, Irish Will Forte. Yeah, yeah. Again, Will Forte. I mentioned him earlier. Uh, my, it's an Irish movie that he's in. Mike Ahern and Enda Lauman. Um, hope I got their names right. Directed it, and uh, an actress. It's kind of a Ghostbustersy kind of thing where this woman um, is. She has these special skills and can sort of exercise demons from from places. And the woman who is the lead in that, I've never. She's I guess a um, Irish comic, a stand-up comic. Her name's Maeve Higgins. And um, I thought hers was like the breakout performance of the year for me. She uh, was like a secret weapon, just natural and hilarious and brilliant. And that movie has like the best ending, like last moment of a movie I've 
can remember seeing in years. So I definitely, if, you, if you're into the horror comedy thing, um, uh, extraordinary. And I believe March 6th was a date I saw yeah. um, on an Instagram feed or something. Yeah. So conveniently enough, uh, I like just got a call from the rep um, <laughs> while we're recording this uh, because I did an interview with uh, the whole cast and crew at Fantastic Fest back in September in Austin. Oh, okay. And uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed the hell out of that film. That's awesome. Yeah, isn't she amazing? Isn't yeah. Maeve? It's like it's like she's like just so natural. Do they just like is she an actress? Do they just like find this person and just turn the camera on? From obscurity, she's, she's yeah. Brilliant, yeah. yeah. That's great. Um, and before we end uh, the episode, I ask everybody this. I think it's a kind of a fun question. Um, so obviously, you're it's just a huge fan, like we are, purveyor oh, yeah. of all of cinema. And movies, are there any certain scenes from movies that are just just stick with you forever? Just like that, just inspire and just that you love to revisit these certain scenes. Like, like for instance, like one of mine, if I'm sticking with the horror genres from the original Child's Play movie, when um, the the mother is uh, looking at the doll in the house and he turns that, his head around. Is- Yep, goes under the couch and then he completely changes his face and he becomes the serial killer. And I think that scene is so well done. Uh, and I, so it's one of my favorite scenes. So I, something like that. Is there any certain scenes? It doesn't have to be in horror, mind you, but... Um, certain scenes that, that like really made an impression on me. Yeah, um, there's a movie called Oh, Lucky Man. Oh, with uh, Malcolm with McDowell. Malcolm McDowell. Yeah. And uh, there's a, a scene in a hospital... Uh, where um, people have volunteered to, you know, for uh, medical experiments to make some money. And it's a very surprising scene. I'm not going to spoil it, but um, uh, if you've seen that movie or when you see that movie, it, um, there's a, just a shock that is unlike anything else in the movie. Um, and it's always, you know, when you deal like with, um, you know, doctors who you trust and medical experiments and that kind of thing. I guess that, yeah, going back, that brings us back to like the unborn where, um, you know, the, the uh, fertility doctor is there to theoretically help you and help people. But he's got his own agenda. So that um, that scene in Oh Lucky Man, where uh, in the hospital where uh, people have volunteered for medical experiments and and and. Get uh, get into something that they uh, wouldn't have gotten into had they known the full picture. Um, something very quite very horrifying that made an impression on me, and that still um, I think seeps into into uh, stuff I do today. No, I like that a great answer. I, I love that movie. I, ha- I think I have that on vinyl. That soundtrack on vinyl too. <laughs> oh, it's a great soundtrack. Yeah, it is. I love it. Well. Uh, Robman, thank you so much for joining us on my bloody podcast today. Um, everybody, check out Eat Brains Love. I believe it's available everywhere digitally right now. It is. It's still playing in a few um, theaters. We got a, a small theatrical release, so you may want to. I, I, I think it really uh, benefits from seeing it with a crowd, seeing it with you know a, a group of people um, and if you want to uh, enjoy you know do whatever you want to do with a gatefold record sleeve beforehand <laughs> um, but if you don't have but it's just in a handful of theaters so it is on all the you know iTunes and wherever you buy or rent um, movies um, it's a great movie to to 
to uh, use for a, <laughs> a party and get some people together and, and enjoy. So thank you. Thanks for this opportunity to, to talk, guys. It was really fun. Yeah, uh, we, we'd love to have you on again uh, in the future. I, I think we just we have a lot to talk about. We could talk movies for hours, like you said. Yep. Yeah, we might have to call you in for our bloody question each week and just have your input, especially <laughs> if it involves movie pitches. <laughs> okay. That would be great. Well, thank you again and have a great day, all right? Okay. You too. Thanks for the opportunity. Thanks for the opportunity.